Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. The longer I quilt, the more and more I appreciate scrap quilts. On the cover of our August issue of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine, we're showcasing a quilt by Diane Harris called Star Silhouette. It's a stunning and eye-catching quilt, and it, it literally took my breath away when I first saw it in person. This quilt uses an amazing 10-plus yards of scraps to make a colorful quilt that plays with contrast and color to form stars across a throw quilt. We're actually going to chat with Diane later on in the show so that she can share more about her quilt. But I wanted to start the show sharing some tips for making scrappy quilts. When I first started quilting, I never saved scraps of fabric. My brain just couldn't seem to wrap around using scraps yet. Because, you know, scrap quilts involve a lot of understanding of contrast, value, uh, even color of fabric. Um, and not to mention you need space to store all of those scraps. <laughs> so now that I've been quilting a while, my love of scrap quilts has only increased and I've made quite a few. And those scrap quilts are some of my favorite in my collection because they're so interesting and fun to look at. So first, let's talk about the definition of scrap quilts. Scrap quilts are quilts that seem to be sewn kind of with a random assortment of fabric, almost like the quilter put their hand in a bin of fabric and pulled out pieces without looking. Uh, historically, scrap quilts were make-do projects and were pieced with leftover fabric and even clothing items. They were thriftier and more utilitarian, uh, but today scrap quilts are popular with people who just love fabric and want to use as many as possible in their quilts. So many times, scrap quilts rely on contrast, value, and sometimes even color to get a clear design across. So although you're using a variety of fabrics, you still want to make sure the pattern's design is being showcased. So you want to select a range of light, medium, and dark fabrics to get that contrast. So many uh, scrappy quilt patterns are written in a way that may reflect those needs. So they may say you need three yards of assorted light prints and three yards of assorted dark prints, or they may say you need one yard each of assorted red, black, and white prints. Um, but if the pattern isn't written that way, or if you're planning to convert a pattern into something super scrappy, you can use photos to help plan your dark, medium, and light prints. So take a picture of the pattern with your phone and then convert it to black and white to help see where those light, medium, and dark prints are placed in the block. And then you can do the same thing with your fabric choices. Take a picture, convert it to black and white, and then see if you have enough contrast. Then match your dark prints with the dark prints in the pattern to gain that same contrast as in the original pattern. So 
anything goes when it comes to fabric for a scrappy quilt. Uh, you can mix reproduction and contemporary prints. Uh, you can choose polka dots or florals. You can add in batiks and tone on tones. Uh, my favorite type of print to add to scrappy quilts is a stripe because it always adds just an unexpected type of movement to the quilts that other prints don't always bring. And make sure you include some sparkle in your quilt. So maybe choose a bright or a really standout color or print to draw the eye around the quilt and add that little extra oomph. That's my favorite part of scrap quilts. Now, if you desire a calmer version of scrappy, uh, many quilters I know call themselves controlled scrappy quilters uh, because they don't like too much chaos in their quilts. You can use a single background print rather than an assortment. Like you can just use a solid white or a cream tone on tone instead of a scrappy mix. Or you can stick to a specific color palette and pull scraps of fabric that fall into those colors. So this will bring a little more order to your quilts if you're not ready to dive into like the, the scrappiest of scrappy worlds. <laughs> so there are some patterns that lend themselves great for your scraps. Um, string quilts, log cabin quilts, nine patch, granny square, trip around the world quilts. Uh, those are all popular quilts that can use scraps and look wonderful with a variety of fabrics. Um, also like one patch quilts are also great. Um, and those are like quilts that use one repeated shape, like squares, hexagons, diamonds. Um, so I've made scrappy quilts in most of these kind of patterns. Um, and right now I am saving scraps to make a pineapple block quilt. Uh, so there really are no shortage of patterns that use scraps of all sizes. So if you don't have a variety of scraps, uh, you can cut extras of fabric you do have um, and trade with friends to get kind of a broader selection. So we do this type of trade um, in our offices where we can bring in extra pieces of fabric we don't want, awkward pieces, scraps we don't plan to use, and then we can leave them on just like a table we have designated for this. And so you can bring your scraps in and you can grab others that other people have left. So we can always have a variety of fabrics that we're adding to our scrap bin. So you could set up something similar with a quilt guild, a group of friends, um, maybe even a local quilt shop. Uh, actually, wouldn't it be really fun if there was something like free little libraries that they existed for quilters to drop off and pick up scraps. Um, I would be a frequent customer. So uh, someone should invent that and bring it to Iowa for me. <laughs> you can put it right in front of my house and I will have lots of scraps to donate to the cause. <laughs> so to get the scrappiest look you can when piecing, uh, you can throw your pieces for your quilt into a bin or a container and then mix them up with your hands. Then when you start sewing, just grab pieces from the bin randomly. Uh, my brain still likes to see order when I'm making quilts. So even when I know I'm making a scrappy quilt, my brain and hands will just grab similar pieces and colors together over and over again um, instead of truly getting like a scrappy look. So this technique works great for me when I find myself overthinking the scrappy process. And lastly, 
trust yourself. Uh, sometimes scrap quilts can look really uncoordinated until the entire quilt comes together. I've heard from some quilters who give up on scrap quilts after a few blocks because they think it's ugly, it's not working right, uh, but stick with it. And remember that scraps truly shine when they're all together in a finished project. Uh, the whole quilt, all of the scraps together will always look much more stunning than just seeing individual units or blocks. So we have a ton of scrappy patterns on our website, so we will link to them in the show notes if you want to find a pattern for your next scrappy quilt. And a little advance warning, uh, you, you all are the first to know, uh, that we're hosting a scrappy September quilt along. So we'll be sharing more details in early September uh, for everyone so that you can join in with us. But this quilt is going to be a great way to use all of your two and a half inch scraps, uh, could be strips or squares. Uh, so I hope you join in. I have so many two and a half inch squares. Uh, so I may need to jump in on this quilt along with everyone because it's starting to overflow my two and a half inch square bin is. So this quilt might do the trick. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we'll be chatting with the scrap expert, Diane Harris. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to my coworker, Elizabeth, for her chat with Diane Harris. Hope you enjoy it. Well, Diane, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I am just so excited to introduce you to some of our listeners if they're not already familiar with you and just be able to chat a little bit about quilting with you today. So thank you for joining us. You bet. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I think it'd be fun just to kind of start at the very beginning. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, maybe how you got started quilting, maybe how long you've been a quilter, and, you know, was it love at first quilt, you know, when you first started? <laughs> yes, you know, I started to sew in Nebraska 4-H clubs when I was about nine, and I so I made garments first. And then when I was expecting my first child, I took a quilting class. And after garments that have to fit a curving body with arms and legs, a quilt is a pretty easy transition because it just needs to be flat. Mm -hmm. And I did love it right off the bat. And uh, I made scrappy quilts pretty early. Uh, in about 94 is the first scrap quilt that I remember making that I still have. And I I spend so many hours of each day at the sewing machine. Um, it's just become a part of everything about me and I enjoy every minute of it. Yeah. Oh, I love to hear that. I feel like um, a lot of quilters got their first start in sewing in 4-H. I know myself, I started with garments in 4-H too, and you're absolutely right. Quilts are so much easier than garments, in my opinion, too. Um, but yeah, that's fun to know like people's origin stories really get started with 4-H a lot. Yes, absolutely. I had a couple of really good teachers when I was a child uh, at, at that early stage. My mom taught me a lot about garment sewing. And then I had a sister-in-law, um, Jane Volk Armstrong, who was a huge influence in my life. She was 
what was then called a home economics instructor. Mm -hmm. And she later became an extension agent. And she was a teacher at heart and taught me a lot of really basic skills that I still use today. I still pin the way Jane taught me to pin. So (laughs) I'm very grateful. Yes, I'm so grateful for her influence in my life. So good teachers along the way really help. Mm -hmm. And it's so great too that, you know, they taught you um, obviously ways that were correct and that you loved because you're still using them to this day, kind of honoring them in that way. Yes. And that's not to say that you don't come up with um, easier ways to do things or shortcuts, because certainly as we gain experience, we do uh, create some of our own methods, I think, but a good foundation is really invaluable. Yeah. So you've had a couple of quilts in the magazine, um, American Patchwork and Quilting with us. They're just stunning and both of them very scrappy. And when I think of you, I kind of think that you are kind of known for um, being an expertise in scrappy quilts. So have (laughs) you always loved scrappy quilts? What draws you to, um, you know, designing with so many different fabrics? Well, uh, first, thank you for your kind words. That's very sweet. I, I have always admired quilts with lots and lots of different fabrics. Um, Really early in my quilting life, there was a quilter here in Nebraska. Her name was Laura Franchini, and she was using hundreds of fabrics in a quilt. And I had never seen anything like that. And I was absolutely enamored with the quilts that she was making. I didn't yet have the kind of stash that she must have had. And you do need um, kind of a fabric collection to sew in that way. But over time, I grew my fabric uh, collection and was able to start playing around with some of those ideas. And then in my first job in the industry, I was exposed to Bonnie Hunter, long before she was really as well known as she is now. And she also was making quilts with all kinds of different fabrics that didn't match in quotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I loved those quilts. And the other thing that sort of drew me into scrappiness was looking at vintage quilts, because there was so much charm in a quilt where someone had to substitute something for a patch, didn't have quite enough to make all the star points the same fabric. I just loved those quilts and that quirkiness. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the influences that drew me more into scrappiness. And then the other factor that was huge for me was uh, in that first industry job, I ended up taking lots and lots of fabric samples home with me. They became mine at no charge. And so I had thousands of samples of quilting fabric that were, oh, maybe half as big as a fat quarter, um, all different colors and all different styles. And I wanted to be able to use those fabrics in amazing quilts. Mm -hmm. And so I started to just play around And that's sort of where it all started. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I love that. It's like such a fun um, 
design challenges that come along with scrappy quilts and using, you know, your stash. And is, is that kind of where you came up with your name for your blog stash bandit? Just that challenge of like playing around and having fun with, with all of your stash. Yes. You know, when I decided to get serious about this and start a little business, I brainstormed probably about 200 different names for the business. Uh, brainstorming is one of my favorite things. I, I am a good brainstormer. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to call it something that was really playful and fun uh, with just a little bit of attitude, but something that would also make it clear that for me, it's it's really a lot about the fabric. Um, so stash bandit sort of just fit the bill. Yeah. And it's funny because I've had that logo with which people may have seen. It's a little masked girl and she kind of looks like me. She has glasses like I do. And uh, that I've had that logo for about five or six years. And so it was there long before the pandemic and who would have ever guessed that, you know, this worldwide event would somehow be linked to my silly little logo. Um, Occasionally I get someone who is a little bit cranky about the mask on the logo, but um, we, we talk our way through it and by the end they're okay. So um, yeah, Stash Bandit was just meant to be playful and fun and indicate that it's about the fabric. Yeah. And I love your underline to it too. It's like quilting shenanigans, like right there Very. that you're going to have fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're going to have fun. So um, my business so far has focused on speaking and teaching. And we always, uh, I always aim to help people have a great time whether it's at a guild meeting or in a workshop, I want people to be having fun. I don't think any of us should be quilting to add more stress to our lives. Uh, We should be doing this for fun and enjoyment. And so, yes, quilting shenanigans uh, Mm. seem to fit the bill for sure. And when I was looking at some of your classes and your workshops, instead of using the word workshop, you said you like to use the word play shop. Um, And that just was really a fun, fun new term I hadn't heard before. Yes. You know, um, I was thinking about that this morning because somebody was asking me about play. And as an adult, I often felt guilty about time spent playing around and when I became a quilt designer, I really had to learn to set that guilt aside and understand that playing is one of the absolute foundations of creativity. Mm-hmm. And now um, my best work comes out of playtime. In fact, the quilt that's on the cover of APQ is something that came out of a playtime. That whole little unit. Uh, was a result of messing around. And so I have really um, embraced the idea of play as something very important. Yeah. So speaking of that cover quilt, could you share us a little, uh, share a little bit more about that process? You said you came up with that block and while you were playing and you have a specific name for that block, correct? And what do you call that block? Yes. I call that little unit a star quar only because it's one fourth of a very basic star block. Mm -hmm. And that playtime originated toward the beginning of the pandemic. 
um, everybody was feeling pretty unsettled about the state of the world. And I had this idea to host some little Sunday afternoon sessions and call them Scrap Quilt Secrets. And so I did it for six Sunday afternoons in a row, just little one hour sessions, and I made them complimentary just because it was a difficult time for people. Um, and I thought it would just give us a little something to look forward to that was fun and inviting. And so as I was uh, messing around with scrap quilt ideas for that content, I started to play with this little one fourth of a star. And I stumbled onto all these wonderful things you could do with it. Um, when you thought a little more about value and a little less about color. So value just being the lightness or darkness of a fabric. And uh, so that's where that came from was those little scrap quilt secrets sessions at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, boy, I have a, probably a couple of dozen uh, star choir quilts now that I'm dying to make when I can find the time for sure. It's such a beautiful quilt and it's so beautiful and scrappy. I know when it first arrived here in our offices, I was looking at it and um, trying to, you know, figure out how we wanted to photograph it for the magazine. And, and I kept looking at all of the fabrics you use in it and what surprised me, and, and I don't have a lot of expertise in scrappy quilts, but I love them and appreciate them. But I kept noticing like all of the fabrics you were putting, especially in your background, were, were actually had a lot of color in them. Um, and yeah. it's really what you were saying about contrast being important. Could you share a little bit about how you think about color and contrast when you approach a new design that's scrappy? Yes. Um, thank you for your comments about the quilt. I appreciate that. You know, I really think that if you just thought about value and contrast, um, you could make a really amazing quilt without ever thinking about color. I feel like um, value and contrast are responsible for about 90% of the success of your quilt and color is maybe only about 10%. Um, so if you think of value as the lightness or darkness of the fabric, uh, contrast is just the difference between two fabrics. So contrast is what makes a design visible. And uh, in my trunk shows, I have a couple of quilts uh, of my own design from very early where I didn't really understand contrast yet. And the elements of the design just disappear. They just fade right into the background. And I think most of us have had that experience. And so I really think much, much more about value and contrast than I do about color. Color is very much second or third down the list of things that I think about. Okay. And I think when, when I teach classes, one of the most difficult things is to get people to stop thinking about color mm -hmm. and to start thinking more about value and contrast. Uh, but when they do, and they stand back for the more distant view of the quilt, which is the best perspective by far, then they can kind of start to embrace the idea value and contrast are more important. Yeah. It takes some practice, but I love helping people see that. And I just 
am so energized when I see the light bulbs come on for people. That is just an amazing feeling. Yeah. Okay. So when you are, you know, teaching those classes and trying to um, instill that kind of light bulb moment to your students about contrast and value, um, what are some of those like tips or tricks that you might give them to kind of, you know, make that light bulb go off in their brain and stop thinking so much about color? Yes. Well, one of the best things that I can recommend for people is that when they are auditioning fabrics, they want to stand back further um, instead of looking at it, you know, right here, like as if you're reading a book or as if it's sitting on the bed of your sewing machine. That is a view that is, uh, no, hardly anyone is ever going to look at your quilt from that distance. They're going to look at your quilt from across the room. And so if you stand back across the room to audition the two fabrics that you'll be putting together, you can get a completely different perspective. And so that's probably one of the most important things that I can help people understand. The other one is that In a scrap quilt, I actually try and avoid fabrics that match. Um, If I'm making a scrappy block, I don't want a brown and a green and a gold that look beautiful together. I want tension in a block. I want a brown and a purple and an orange maybe, or a brown and a purple and a red or things that you would not put together. Um, I often say that matching is for getting dressed. It's not for making a scrap quilt. I love that. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, because, you know, we were all taught, have your navies of, you know, of your slacks and your, and your blouse kind of go, they they need to kind of match in a way. That's, that's where we all came from. And, uh, with scrap quilting, I want you to set that aside and just um, forget about matching. I purposely, I, I avoid matching like the plague because I feel like it's uh, so predictable and uninteresting. I think that differences are always more interesting than sameness mm-hmm. is. So I really shoot for some difference, for some tension in some way. And uh It's fun, again, to help people understand that. And it's interesting in class. um, Some people are more able to embrace that than others. And it sort of depends on how you're wired. It depends a little on your background. If you've come from a very strict place of rules that had to be obeyed, all of that all of that informs the way you make decisions about something as, as I guess you could say insignificant as combining quilt fabrics. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see how different people are able or unable uh, to move into new territory. Yeah. Kind of have to unlearn some, maybe some things that are in our like core to our personality sometimes and really get around to playing and having fun. Like you were saying, Yes, absolutely. Preconceived rules out the window, maybe. Absolutely. You know, the other thing Mm -hmm. that um, I try and help people do is let go of fear. I am often shocked by how much fear there is 
about putting different fabrics together. Um, I, I'm just blown away because to me, it's just fabric. And if you put something together that looks ugly, uh, the world is going to keep on spinning. Like it's not a big deal. And uh, if, if there's anything that has helped my quilts in the past five or 10 years, it's that I am pretty fearless. I'm not afraid to make something ugly. I do have lots of ugly quilts. I mean, gosh, you learn more on those quilts than you do on the ones that just go swimmingly according to plan. And the other fear that I put aside quite a while ago, I stopped caring if other people loved my quilts or not. Um, I just decided to make quilts that I loved and somehow that is working. Um, It doesn't matter too much to me if the people, for instance, at my quilt guild love my quilts. Mm -hmm. A lot of times those people don't quite understand my quilts, but I had to decide, you know, that's all right. Um, I think there's room for everybody and every approach in the world of quilting. If it's your deal to buy a kit and make it look just like the picture on the pattern, that is a-okay. Whatever floats your boat, there mm-hmm. is, there's plenty of room for every approach. And maybe that comes with, with age. You know, I'm in my 60s and maybe that openness, that acceptance, that might come a little bit more in later life, yeah. I think. Yeah, I love the way you approach everything. I just think that's so fun and refreshing to not have any fear and just um, get around to playing with your fabrics. And I'm sure you learn a lot from those um, quote unquote mistakes too. Oh, yes, I, <laughs> boy, yes, I have lots of uh, mis- mistakes. And even the quilts that are in my trunk shows, I, I'll often talk about what makes a quilt work, but then I'll point out, here's, here's a little thing that I would change now that I know more or know better. So I, and, and the other thing I really feel strongly about is that if you're, if you're trying to win a great big show, let's say this, this might not be the best advice for you, but most of us are making people or making quilts for the people we love. And in in that case, I feel like it's okay if every quilt is not absolutely stellar, if the contrast is a little lower than we'd like, or the machine quilting isn't absolutely perfect. Your neighbor's mom who has breast cancer isn't going to care about that. She's going to wrap up in the love that you gave the quilt with. So I feel like we just need to keep making quilts for the people we love and enjoying it and not stressing too much about the perfection element. I think perfection is highly overrated. (laughs) I would agree. As someone who struggles with perfectionism, um, I do find it kind of freeing when I get to quilt and just have fun. So yes, yes. And know that Um, what's, you know, might stand out to me is not being perfect. No one else is going to know. And that recipient is just going to love that quilt I made for them. So, yes, absolutely. I, I've kind of learned that it's much more about the big picture effect of each quilt than it is about what little, what fabrics we put in each little scrappy block. Mm-hmm. And I, I like keeping that in mind that the big picture is much more important. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Lindsay. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but we have to take a quick ad break. We'll be back soon with more from Diane. So to get a little more practical and talk a bit about your storage and organization of your scraps, because I always think this is fascinating about how people organize their stash. How I'm imagining that you have a pretty substantial fabric stash. Am I correct in assuming that? You are. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so do you have any tips or tricks on how you organize that? Do you organize things by color, by size? I'm just curious. My stash is organized mostly by color. There are a few uh, genres of fabric that are stored together. Like I have 30s fabrics together, which I don't actually like anymore. So I'm trying to incorporate them into scrappy quilts in unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. um, like a couple of designers that I enjoy, I have those fabrics together. And so, yeah, so mostly by color, as far as my stash and they are in a plastic drawer units that you buy you know at Target or wherever in a walk-in closet okay. um, so but my scraps um, boy scrap organization is kind of a tall order tricky isn't it <laughs> yeah gosh because they meet and multiply when you're not looking they yes. just become overwhelming. So my, when I think it's helpful to create like an easy toss near your cutting area so that when you have a little bit of something left over, you can just toss it into a little basket and that's where everything is. When that basket gets full, I take the time to cut uh, the scraps up and I have kind of a little method where I layer things as I iron them and then I'll cut, um, many as many layers at a time as I can cut accurately and then I stack those up on the cutting mat so within a couple of minutes I can have four or five hundred patches pretty pretty easily and do you have some like standard sizes you always tend to cut your scraps down to yes I do um two and a half is kind of my base my my most basic thing but from two and a half inch strips I cut uh, one and a half inch uh, rectangles. I cut two and a half inch squares, two and a half by four and a half inch bricks. And those three patches are the standards that most of my quilts are made from these days. So I, I it's, it is difficult to store your patches, your scraps, especially. But once I have them cut into patches, then I either store them in shoe boxes labeled so, because I don't ever want to have to press those again, you know, I've, I've learned not to just throw them in a grocery bag. Right. So they're in shoe boxes or, or I have a few little small plastic bins there in, um, but I'm, I have so many scrap quilt ideas in my head at the moment that I hardly ever get ahead with the cutting. I'm always <laughs> trying to catch up with the sure. cutting. So, um, do you often yeah. de-stash your fabrics or do you kind of hold on to everything knowing that someday there might be the perfect use for that one piece of fabric? Because I feel you like know, that would be hard with scrappy quilts to, you know, de-stash knowing, oh, I might use this someday. Yes, you're absolutely right. I have never done a serious de-stash because 
there isn't very much that I can't figure out how to use. Mm -hmm. I have taken a few things like to my guild's garage sale because I don't, I really don't enjoy sewing with flannel. It's too stretchy for me. So I've, I've passed some flannel on to a, a, a good home. And just a few things maybe, you know, that were from the 80s that I couldn't quite ever see myself using. But for the most part, I hold on to stuff because, uh, yeah, scrap quilts are my jam. And there's usually a place for some, for, for every fabric. Yeah. So there's no quote unquote, like, ugly fabrics, you know, in your <laughs> stash, you would really like, you're like, I can make this work. <laughs> well, I think there are some ugly fabrics, but sometimes those ugly ducklings are what help the really beautiful quilts to shine. Mm. It's like every everything can't be the star of the show. Some fabrics need to be supporting actors. Mm. And so sometimes those ugly things are the best supporting actors. I, I like finding places for those. Sometimes the fabrics that are really difficult for me have areas of very light and very dark in the same print, because I feel like then your eye can't decipher if it's supposed to be a light or a dark, and it just looks kind of splotchy in the quilt. So a lot of times I end up flipping those fabrics over and using the wrong side up. And I find that solves a lot of problems with difficult fabrics. Mm, that's a good tip. I love that. Uh, it took me a while to embrace that because as a garment maker, the wrong side is wrong, right? You know, there's no, there's no using the wrong side in garments, at least not in the seventies when I learned. <laughs> so, but eventually I embraced it and now, boy, I do a lot of it because, um, I get a, a really different look and I, I like the look. So yeah. oh, that's good. Um, okay. My last question here is, so in addition to being, um, you know, a quilt designer and you have your blog, you also mentioned that you do quite a few trunks shows and you also teach some of your, um, play shops, workshops. Um, uh -huh. what is your favorite class that you like to teach and why? Boy, that's, that's a hard question. I, I love teaching people about, um, color. I have a class called color contrast and cohesion. And I, I really enjoy that class because people get to choose one of about five or six different, very simple piecing designs. And I do that on purpose so that they can really focus on the, the ideas that we're covering uh, new color combinations, creating contrast with different values. And then cohesion is sometimes a problem with scrap quilts. How do you make the whole thing come together? Uh, there are, gosh, probably 20 things on a list in my handout that are different uh, things you can do or ideas you can emphasize that help all of those really diverse fabrics come together and look like a cohesive unit. And I, I love teaching that class because light bulbs are going off all over the place. And there's nothing better for me than when someone says, oh my gosh, I learned so much. That is just music to my ears. I just uh, get such a rush from that. It sounds like a really like empowering um, class. So you can just come learn a bunch of stuff and then like you're empowering them to go out and and just be super creative. So I hope like so. Class. 
I hope so. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I always love to wrap up these interviews with what I call our rapid fire questions. So I have five questions here for you and whatever first comes to your mind is, is where we'll go. So are you ready? Okay. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> so what is a notion that you can't quilt without? Well, this isn't a notion, but I could not live without my design wall. Yeah. Especially for that tip you said about getting distance from your project. I imagine you would use that a lot. Yes, absolutely. And I have a little portable one. So I guess that counts as a notion. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> um, okay. Number two, what is something that you are proud of? It could be a project or it could be a career or personal quilting goal. Well, I have to say right now, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that quilt on the cover of APQ because uh, that quilt is exactly what I do. I use fabric to do the work. There's no fancy piecing in that quilt. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just pleased me no end that such a simple quilt with such diverse fabrics uh, was chosen for the cover. I'm, I'm very pleased about that. Oh, great. And now you can say you're a cover star. <laughs> perfect. Like literally there's stars in your quilt. So you're well, there you go. Star. Yeah. Okay. Number three. Um, what do you usually have playing in the background while you're quilting? Is there a podcast, an audiobook, a TV show? What do you like to listen to, if anything? You know, I have tried all of those things and I actually prefer silence. Um, I, I just really enjoy having it be very quiet. Just so the humming of the quilt machine, huh? <laughs> yes. And uh, it, it also makes me very aware of when I need to oil the sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Number four, what is currently on your design wall or your sewing table? Well, usually there are about five or six projects and I do, I do have that many going now, but the one that I'm really excited about is another star core design, uh, much like the cover quilt. It's based on that little unit, uh, but it'll be a Christmassy color scheme. So I'm very, very excited about this quilt. I'm making those little units in Christmas colors as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> That sounds beautiful. Uh, well, you have a little bit of time before Christmas, but not much. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question here. I, when you did our Instagram takeover last weekend, I discovered that you have quite a few vintage collectibles. What is one of your favorite sewing themed collectible? I really love toy sewing machines. Uh, they are really wonderful. But another thing that I collect and they're a little easier to collect because they're so much less expensive, uh, are little toy irons from the 60s, 50s and 60s mostly is what you find. And uh, I, I just love those little guys. Sometimes I've, I've spent as little as 50 cents for them. Sometimes there'll be five or six dollars, but they're usually never more than 10. Mm -hmm. And so I love those little uh, toy vintage irons as well. Do you have them displayed in your sewing room? I have them in the in the sort of storage yes kind of um you know I I have a nice space that I sew in now um but I'm it's pretty full of stuff just because you know how it is goodness sakes um so I should probably display them in a in a nicer way um but you know 
you know one how day. that goes. Yeah, yeah one, one day. day. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're fun to collect in the meantime, I'm sure. So yes, they are yeah. for sure. Well, Diane, this has been such a fun chat. I've loved um, talking about everything with you today, especially our chats and all of your tips about scrappy quilts. I think I know I've learned a lot and I think our listeners will too. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, what is the best way for our listeners to stay connected with you and follow along with all of your quilting? Well, they can uh, follow me on Instagram if they'd like. It's at stash bandit quilting. I have a blog and a website stashbandit.net. And you can always email me uh, with a question about it, scrappy uh, quilts at it's just Diane at stashbandit.net. And I would be happy to uh, connect with them. You know, I love quilts, but I love quilters. And I'm always open uh, to meeting new people and uh, forming new relationships. So uh, happy to connect with people on any of those places. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth, for having me. I so appreciate it. Hey, it's Lindsay. Thank you so much to both Elizabeth and Diane for that fascinating chat. If you're interested in seeing Diane's pattern on the cover of the August issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, check out newsstands or visit apqshop.com. We have some extra copies for sale. It's a really beautiful pattern for your scraps. We'll also link to Diane's website and social media so that you can connect with her more. And that's it for today's show. As always, I want to remind you to let your friends know about our podcast and even leave a rating or a review. It really helps us grow our podcast and form just a great big community of quilters. And I wanted to read a review before we leave today. Uh, this one is from Teresa Phoenix. She says, I love this podcast. It's the one I listen to first. I seriously keep a notepad and pen close at hand. Lindsay and the others impart a lot of good tips, ideas, hacks, and product ideas. I jot them down and keep the list near my machine. Great magazine and great podcast. Thank you so much, Teresa. Uh, reviews like yours really make my whole week. So if this review is yours, please send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. That's listed in the show notes so that I can send you a little thank you gift. Everyone have a great week.